It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Hey everyone, I want to welcome you again. My name, yes, is Matt Hausman. I am your host for Smart Money Questions Podcast. And I got to tell you today, we have got some really, really good questions. I'm going to try and get through four questions, but many of the questions I'm going to be looking at follow-up questions or really follow-up questions that we need answers to, to really dive in to a couple of these subjects and questions because they really are good. And I'm hoping that you guys with this will get a lot out of it. I will tell you right now, I'm probably going to speak fast. I've already had a cup of coffee. It's in the afternoon, so I am definitely ready to go. So first of all, let's make sure that we get the disclaimer out there. I don't know you. Well, I might know you, but there's probably a good chance that I don't. So therefore, please, please do not take what I discuss on this show as direct advice for you. Treat it more as information and education that then you should discuss with your financial advisor, an attorney, CPA, or whoever you normally seek out counsel, if you do seek out counsel. Now, if you would like for me or us to be your advisor, we can certainly have that conversation. We'll caution you, though, that normally we only take on about 30 to 40 percent of the people who seek us out. And it's not because we're overly selective. We just feel very strongly there is a right reason to hire an advisor and there's a wrong reason to hire an advisor. So if you'd like to seek us out, there's many multiple ways you can do that. Probably the easiest is to just call my office, 610-719-3003. That's area code 610-719-3003. And we can schedule a time for us to talk or meet. But if you're not in the Metro Philly area, not to worry, we actually have clients in 10 states and we're very comfortable working with people virtually if that's what you have interest in. All right, now that that's done, our first question comes to us from Richard in Pennsylvania. This is really a good one. I am curious, because of their tax differences, do you choose different types of investments in something like a Roth IRA versus a 401k or traditional IRA? And let me tell you, that is a great question because now, first of all, he has identified the tax characterization of the account. So just to go back over that again, Help everyone understand, because many times I'll hear this. As a matter of fact, I gave a workshop last night and someone brought up the underlying investment without understanding the tax characterization. So there's essentially three different tax characterizations of accounts. The first one is a qualified retirement account. I'm going to classify that as the pre-tax tax qualified retirement account. Let's think of a traditional 401k, a 403b, a traditional IRA, 457s. Essentially, any plan that is either offered by your company or if you're self-employed like myself, you've created one or you're contributing to a traditional IRA, that is pre-tax. What that means is that money is going in pre-tax. You're getting relief today, at least at the federal level, depending on where you're listening. Your state could also give you relief or like here in Pennsylvania, we don't get relief when we put money into traditional 401ks. Now, with the traditional 401k or traditional IRA, it has rules around it. One of the rules is 
If I take any of the money out prior to me turning 59 and a half, boom, I'm potentially going to pay an extra 10% penalty. In addition, by the time I am 70 and a half, the IRS is going to come ring my doorbell, ding, 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 and say, hey, listen, we don't care if you need this money or not. It's time to start taking it out. And that percentage that you have to take out increases over time. There are a couple instances, if you're still working, where you do not have to take out RMDs on some of those accounts. And I'm not going to dive into that today, but just understand that when the money finally comes out, hopefully after the age of 59 and a half, so we don't have to worry about a 10% penalty, but you're going to pay ordinary income tax on that account, on all distributions as you are taking it. Keep in mind, you're not going to pay any tax on the account itself, it's only upon distributing the cash to yourself, actually moving it out of the IRA, let's say directly into your checking account. Now there's another type of qualified retirement account that I classify as a tax-free account. But let me explain what that is. That is a Roth IRA, or now many companies are offering a Roth 401k or a Roth 403b. And what happens there, unlike the traditional 401k or traditional IRA, is that money is going in post-tax. What in the world do I mean by that? What I mean is, let's say that I got paid today and it's Friday and I got my gross paycheck was $120 and I paid $20 in tax. Now I have $100 and I'm going to put all of that, let's say, into my Roth IRA. I got absolutely no relief. The difference if it would have went into a traditional IRA, and let's say I was going to make numbers easy, I was going to do the exact same $100 into the traditional IRA. The difference now is, is that my taxable amount is only $20 because I got full relief on that $100 that went into the traditional IRA. In a Roth IRA, there is no relief when I put the money in. So it's going in post-tax. The big difference between a Roth IRA and a traditional IRA, or 401k, what have you, is that when I take the money out of the Roth, there is no tax due. It also doesn't have the 70 and a half rule. So that means I am not required to take money out of that. But anytime I do take money out after five years, I am not paying any tax, not only on my basis within the account, but also on any earnings that the account has done. And it still grows tax deferred, no different than the traditional IRA. So the last type of tax characterization account we have is the taxable account. And essentially think of this, I got paid $120, I paid $20 in tax, I have $100 in my pocket. The IRS views that as I have basis now, and I'm going to go decide where to invest it. And based on where I invest that money is how I will be taxed now on any gain that that $100 would make. So let's look at a couple examples. One example is I'm going to go put it in a savings account. Let's say you know the savings account we use, Maggie and I, is Ally Bank, A-L-L-Y Bank. They pay, I think right now they're paying 2.2%. So that means on that $100, I'm going to get $2.20. Now, the bank is crediting me that throughout the year, month by month by month, which means 
It's what's called a short-term capital gain taxed as ordinary income. I'm going to get taxed on it right now. And every time I get taxed on it, I'm establishing higher basis. The difference would be, what if I went and invested that in Google? Many of you heard me say this. If I invested in Google for $100 and over the course of, let's say, 14, 15, 16 months, the value of that stock went all the way to $200 and then I decided to sell. When I go to sell, the only tax I'm going to have to pay is on the gain of $100 and now I'm going to pay what's called a long-term capital gain. Long-term capital gain right now is capped at about 15% and it does go to 20%. I think your income has to be over like 650000 before you get to 20%. So it's going to be a 15% only on the gain. So again, we have three different types of tax characterized accounts. Traditional IRA, money goes in pre-tax, comes out fully taxed as ordinary income. Then we have the Roth account, goes in pre-tax, grows tax-deferred, comes out completely tax-free. And then the last one is the taxable account, and that's where I have established basis, and I'm only paying on the gain that that money is going to accrue. Okay, So let's go back to Richard's question. I'm curious, because of their tax differences, do you choose different types of investments in something like a Roth IRA versus a 401k or a traditional IRA? For the simple answer right there, I would say because both accounts are growing tax-free or tax-deferred, we're not paying on any of the gain as that gain is happening, I would tell you that the underlying investments don't really matter. You know, So whether you're investing in mutual funds, ETFs, stocks, real estate, what have you, the tax treatment of the gain that's happening in there is really going to be the same. The difference is going to be when you finally take money out of those accounts, that's where the tax treatment is different. So again, traditional IRA, we're going to end up paying tax on that money. On a Roth IRA, we're not going to pay. But I'm going to actually, Richard, I'm going to throw something else in there. Let's talk about different investment choices between a Roth IRA, a traditional 401k, traditional IRA, or the taxable account. So just to go back over, the taxable account is where I am actually paying tax on the money, and then I'm deciding where to put that money. Savings account, maybe a bond, maybe a CD, maybe stocks, maybe ETFs, maybe real estate, what have you. Now, that is where, yes, I believe that you want to be strategically investing money in those taxable accounts to take advantage of the tax code, be tax efficient. So for instance, one of the things that we advise clients on when it comes to their taxable money is we're going to bring in tax efficient type of portfolios where we are looking to still achieve gain, but minimizing the recognized gain that the client would see until they're ready to use the money. Okay, and then when they're ready to use the money, we're really wanting to take advantage of long-term capital gains versus short-term capital gains. Again, short-term capital gains are going to be taxed as ordinary income. Long-term capital gains are going to be taxed for the most part at 15%. It can go as high as 20, but your income really has to be high. A very large, as I said, over 600,000 to get there. So with regards to the Roth and the traditional IRA, Roth IRA, traditional IRA, I don't really think they're is a really a big difference on your underlying investments now, what you're looking to put that money into to make it grow. I don't really think it's a difference because as it grows, it's still going to be 
tax deferred or tax free, depending on you know who you speak to there. It's only when you when it comes out. Now the taxable account, I definitely think that we should be looking at tax efficient vehicles for there. Now there's another question that came in that kind of is around that, and that is. This is from Bell in Tennessee, and what she says is, I maxed out my Roth IRA contributions last year, but then I ended up having an awesome sales year. First of all, congratulations to you. And I made more than what was allowed for my Roth IRA contributions. Am I in trouble? It feels silly that I'll get punished for being responsible and saving money. Well, let me tell you, Bell, that is for another class, but you are 100% right. You are going to get penalized for wanting to save too much. So let's jump into that. This also goes where you can get penalized for overfunding a 401k, and hopefully your your HR departments are recognizing that, but you can have that happen, especially if you max out a 401k and then you go contribute to a traditional IRA and you put too much in there. There's a penalty there. There's also a penalty for maxing out a traditional IRA, but what I'm going to address right here is her question about her Roth IRA. So one thing to understand about a Roth IRA is that if you make too much money, which is what she's indicating here, she had a great sales year, and if you have surpassed the income limits of contribution, keep in mind I'm saying contribution, not conversion, okay? And the contribution, so I'm going to let you know, so for 2018, if your income and you are filing single was larger than $135, you can no longer contribute to a Roth IRA. It starts reducing, though, once your income gets to $120,000 as a single. So there's kind of a phase out that ends up happening from 120 to 135, and it starts reducing how much you can put in there. Now, if you're filing jointly, it caps out last year, 2018, at 199,000, but the reductions start all the way at 189. And this is household income now for married filing jointly. So it starts to fade out what you can put in. And Bell, here's the thing that you wanna realize. Why would this have happened, let's say? Well, let's say she contributed to the Roth IRA. In other words, we can tell she's in sales and she got a you know a good sales check, good commission check for whatever she's selling, let's say in June. And she's like, she's being proactive and she's saying, you know what, I'm gonna go ahead and fund my Roth IRA right now. And she puts the maximum in that she's allowed to, which differs based on how old you are. But she does that. And then... Let's just say that she made $136,000. By the time of the end of the year, she got a great bonus. Maybe she had a couple more months where she had a great, you know, part of that sales that she had last year, and she's over. And now what happens is she is going to be penalized, and she would have had to do it on her last tax return. She's going to pay a 6% excise tax on the additional money. If it was all of it, she owes a 6% excise tax right now. Now, here is the key. Bell, please hear this, is that you can actually be continually penalized the 6% on whatever the over amount, or I'm sorry, if your income was over, whatever you over contributed, you can continue to be taxed at the 6% excise tax unless you take care of that now. Pull that money out 
And if you end up being under those income thresholds this year, you can end up making it up. But what they do is they penalize you for putting that money in. And yes, you're right, penalizing you because you were thinking in advance and you were saving, but it's where you saved it and how you saved it that's causing that problem. So if you did create that, let's say it was you shouldn't have put in that extra $2,000, let's say, because of your income limits was somewhere in between there. You got to yank that two grand out. Otherwise, that 6% excise tax is going to be there year over year over year. And so it's real important that you pay attention on the traditional Roth IRA contributions and the traditional IRA contributions. Now, let me address something real quick. Here's something else. You heard me earlier talk about many companies now are offering a Roth 401k option. If you have that and your income limits are over this, and married couples, I'm really talking to you too, because you know, let's say the wife is making 100,000 and the husband is making 100,000. So collectively, they're making $200,000. Even though they're looking, oh, I'm making under 100, I can go do it. It's at the collective level. That's $200,000. They both can't contribute. They're out of it based on the numbers for last year. So if they have the Roth 401k option at their work, that is where they need to be doing it because currently they don't have income limits on the Roth 401k contributions. They only have a max contribution limit. So there's different sets of rules for the traditional Roth IRA contributions and the Roth 401k or 403b contribution limits. So, Bell, get that taken care of. If you're doing your taxes on your own, you should be able to go in, let's say TurboTax. There's a form that you have to file, and then you have to go back and pull that money out. If you're dealing with an accounting firm, a tax prep firm, or like a CPA, they can assist you as well. But I would highly suggest that you go ahead and get that taken care of now. And, and I'm going to address something real quick. Now, again, this is my opinion, but she says, it feels silly that I'm getting punished for being responsible and saving money. Why would the IRS or the government, the Fed, whoever you want to call, the people down in Washington, why would they create this limit on how much you can put in based on your income? Seems to me like they know that that's a pretty doggone good deal and they want to limit how much you put in there because they know it's going to hurt their overall tax revenue. I'm talking about the Roth. So you know that's one of the reasons I think that they limit this kind of stuff. And you guys can do research. There's stuff out there. There's ways to do what are called backdoor Roths. I really think that that's going to you know, get poo-pooed on. But right, right now, you can still do that. But, you know, that's my opinion. And, Bell, I have to commend you for, you know, being responsible and saving. A buddy of mine always says that it's the people that are responsible and save money that always get penalized. But anyway, that's for another story. You can probably tell I've had some coffee. All right, so let's jump into another one. This is Paul in Maryland. And this is, I guess I should have known better, but for some reason, I was under the impression that I wouldn't have to pay taxes on my social security benefits. Now I know better. Probably happened this last tax return, huh? But it seems like some people pay more than others. How does this work? So real quick, I might even do a video on this because I just want to let you know, Paul, this is a common misunderstanding or even if they know that the social security can be taxed, they're not really sure how the calculation goes and why. Why are some people paying a little bit of their social security is taxable income, and in others, it's maxed out at the uh, maximum of 85%. 
they do what's called a MAGI calculation. It's called Modified Adjusted Gross Income. And what they are looking at, in short words, is all of your other income not including, this is at the household level again, all of your income, no matter where it's coming from, pension, IRA distributions, maybe you're still working part-time, interest, capital gains, all that kind of stuff. And they do a calculation where they put in half of your Social Security, your household Social Security benefits. If it goes over a certain number, then a percentage of that can start to move over and become taxable income. And you can look right at your tax return. And quite frankly, Paul, this is probably where you saw it. There's an inside part of where it says Social Security benefits. And then to the right, which is the column running down, which counts into your AGI, adjusted gross income, it says taxable amount. And as your other income increases more and more of that Social Security household income can become taxable. And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier is really recognizing and understanding how your money is tax characterized. Because if most of the money is sitting in qualified retirement accounts like IRAs and 401ks, that means every dollar you're taking out goes into that equation. So, And that's what we see and we try and help people mitigate the tax on Social Security and their IRAs by, when possible, looking to shift money around based on tax characterization. Most importantly, trying to get money to Roth. IRAs. But that's why that happens. And depending on the reason that some people are paying more or more of their Social Security is taxable, really has to do with where their money is tax characterized and how much money they're taking out. I will tell you that back when Clinton changed how much of your Social Security actually raised it to where 85% of your Social Security income can become taxable, those numbers that were originally created way back in the mid-90s, they have not changed. There's been nothing that has changed based on inflation. So here's another one. This is Rebecca in Texas. Unless something goes horribly wrong, I should be getting a sizable inheritance from my mom. She's currently 90 years old and in declining health. Is it unwise for me to factor that inheritance into my retirement planning? Rebecca, I get that question a lot. That's a great question. And hopefully your mom has enjoyed a very long and fruitful life. But one thing I would tell you is most of the time, when I am doing planning with clients and they bring this kind of stuff up, I don't factor that in until it's there. There's many things, as you said in here, unless something goes horribly wrong, and this is just my opinion, I don't think it's a good idea to start factoring in investment decisions today based on money you're anticipating in the future. There's so many things that can happen. They can change inheritance laws. There's all kinds of stuff. So my advice to you would be try and go ahead and do your financial planning and you know your asset distribution and stuff like that just based on the money that you have if you're married between you and your husband don't go and factor in you know what, what's the adage um kind of like it's counting the chickens before they've hatched that's just my opinion i usually always recommend that that is what we are doing for clients because one of the things that you want to realize when you're doing planning or quote counting on assets the best thing to do in planning is planning with what we know we have now, not with an anticipation of later. Now, there's a couple differences or a couple little variables that can happen where that can change. Um, I have a client right now that is looking to retire in two months, and she doesn't have her pension lump sum yet, 
but we already know that contractually she already has this number coming in they've already given that to her in writing and so we can start planning like that accordingly if she's told me the same amount of money was going to be coming once her mom passed which is what you're indicating i would not factor that into planning you know <laughs> it's kind of funny i remember i had these clients probably about six seven years ago they had the same as soon as they came in they brought me the same exact situation and it was kind of the same thing and it was like three years later and i'll never forget this the wife actually said good night she's still living <laughs> so we did not make financial planning decisions based on that money because of that situation so my recommendation would be that you actually wait until that money is there and then that can be like a secondary or part two of your planning but the first planning i would tell you is as if that money is not there. Wow, look at that. We actually got through all four. What are we at? We're just a tad over 20 minutes. Well, listen, I hope that was helpful for you guys. I thought those questions were really good, smart questions, and hopefully it was of value. If as you were listening, maybe you were questioning, maybe I was talking too fast, and you have additional questions, just feel free to shoot those over, and I'll be more than happy to go into more detailed explanation to help you understand what I am talking about and you can do that at email is info at smartmoneyquestions.com or simply go to the website there smartmoneyquestions.com and you can fill out the form there now if you have a suggestion or a scenario that you would like for us to address do the same thing shoot it over in an email go to the website or simply give us a call 610-719-3003 again 610-719-3003 3003. And that's all I got. I hope everyone's well. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks again.